Weirdo Bookworms Unite! We want to share our love of genre fiction with you. Fans of horror, sci-fi, fantasy, and more can stop by as we chat about what we've been reading. Hello, genre junkies, and welcome to our first episode of 2018. Joining me, as always, is Scott. Hello, everybody. New Year hype. (laughs) And I am, of course, Sandra. We're joined by our producer, Stitches, as well. So one thing we wanted to start off with a little bit before we get rolling into the book today, which is Warcross by Marie Lu, is since it is the start of the year, we thought it might be fun to have a little roundtable discussion of any bookish or reading goals we have in 2018. Um, I'll start. So last year, I really only had one major bookish goal, and that was to read 50 books. And I did. And for me, that was a really cool accomplishment. I know some people read more than that. Some people read less than that. doesn't really matter. It's just kind of, you know, it was just for my own sort of tracking, because I figured that's about what I read on average in a year. So I thought I'd try it out. Uh, So anyway, so I accomplished that. Yay. So for 2018, I think I'm going to concentrate less on the number of books and just focus a little bit more on some authors and some books that I want to read that I've never read before. This one is not really genre junkies related, but I've never read Moby Dick. Well, I mean, neither have I, but who has the time? (laughs) It's actually not as long as you'd think. But I know, well, it's, I don't know, some people can consider it kind of horrific. It seems exciting. I've seen the movie a long, long, long time ago. So I definitely want to get to that. Um, I've also never read Slaughterhouse-Five by Kurt Vonnegut. Have you read that? I haven't. I haven't really read any of Kurt Vonnegut's books. So I've got to read that this year. Um, I would really, really like to reread The Mayfair Chronicles by my beloved Anne Rice, because I haven't really gotten to sit down and do that. Um, I also want to read some more by Jack Ketchum, who is, of course, a very famous horror writer, and I haven't really delved into his canon. Like, I mean, I barely even, like, touched a toe into that. I'd also like to read something I haven't read before by Fyodor Dostoevsky, because I've never um, really gotten into his books, too, but I think he's fascinating and his point of view is really cool. And I also want to catch up on anything from Anya Alborn that I haven't read yet. I think she's got a couple now that I've fallen behind on, and she is a really, really awesome kick-ass lady horror writer. And hopefully we'll cover her on the show at some point, because I've been reading her for years and I love her. And I feel really guilty that I've kind of fallen off her bandwagon, because I'm always talking about how much I love her, and yet I'm like falling behind. So how about you, Scott? I think those are really good goals. Um, Thank you. I have two main goals. I actually want to set a number for myself for the year. I want to read 40 books. That's fantastic. That's my goal. It's a little bit shy of your 50, but you know, with genre junkies and everything else, I think that it's very achievable. Oh, well, it's hard. You know, you can't really quantify, but it's kind of cool. I liked having a goal of number of books to read. I thought that was kind of fun. I wouldn't want to do it every year, though. And my other goal is actually a big embarrassment of mine, being such a sci-fi fan myself. Oh my god, what is it? I want to read more Philip K. Dick books. There's a lot that I haven't actually read. Also, and this is really embarrassing to admit, I've never read a George Orwell book. Not one. Oh my god. And I want to fix that. So my goal is to read at least four books from both of those authors this year. Ooh, I think that's an awesome goal. I've only read... 
say I think I've read three Orwell books. Um, I love him. He's awesome. You got to read him. Yeah, I'm excited too. So th- those are my uh, New Year's resolutions. I love it, you guys. So what do you guys have any like sort of bookish reading, writing, literary goals for yourselves for the year? Um, comment and tell us on our Instagram, send us an email or whatever, a carrier pigeon, a Hogwarts owl. <laughs> so without further ado, let's talk about Warcross, shall we? All right. All right. Let me tell you a little bit about Warcross. In the near future, society on a global scale has become obsessed with spending time in the virtual reality realm known as Warcross. Emika Chen is a hacker and bounty hunter who makes a living pursuing criminals in and out of Warcross. When Emika accidentally glitches herself into the Warcross Championship games, she thinks her next step is prison. Instead, the game's creator wants to hire her to pursue a fugitive, putting the games at risk. So, yeah, I really like that synopsis, but let's talk about the elephant in the room. On its face, (laughs) Warcross shares a similar theme to Ready Player One. Yes. Yeah, because of that, it's almost impossible not to draw comparisons between the two. Yeah. I want to get that out of the way right here, because ultimately, (laughs) I think Warcross should be discussed on its own merits. Yes. But, uh, Sandra, what do you think of the similarities? (laughs) I agree. This ends here. This ends now. I mean, it's it's hard to not mention them in the same breath for people when they talk about either of these books, but they are not the same. They are so different. Okay, so let's just kind of get this out of the way. I read Ready Player One, and so did Scott, many moons ago now, when the book first came out. I read it in my book club. Loved it. I thought it was great. I had a really good time reading that book. I thought it was thrilling and fun and funny. It's not without faults and flaws. And as time has gone on and the book has gotten so huge, now we have the movie coming out, a lot of people have drawn attention to its flaws and they have criticisms of it. And these criticisms are totally valid. I can still enjoy reading the book and then I I look at what people are saying and I'm like, oh man, that really sucks. They have a point there. So kind of the biggest one in answer to the criticisms is these books are not the same. They're just not. This one is from a female point of view. Emika's point of view. Which is a very important difference. Absolutely. A lot of people didn't like how in Ready Player One, we get this very cisgender, hetero, stereotypical nerd boy's point of view. A lot of people found him obnoxious and were turned off by his voice. That is not Emika. It's totally not her. First of all, she's not white or a dude. So that should tell you something right there. A lot of people also didn't like that Ready Player One didn't have great ethnic diversity representation. Totally not true with Warcross. It has phenomenal ethnic diversity. Marie Lude goes to great lengths to make sure that there is a sense of worldwide involvement in Warcross and in the story. Also, there's um, (laughs) better treatment of homosexual characters in Warcross, which is incredibly important. Looking back on it now in retrospect, I'm not really happy with how homosexuality in characters was handled in Ready Player One. And I know that as a reader, I've grown to see like, I don't love that. I don't love what they did there. So you don't have to worry about that. There's not all this nostalgia driven inside joke, pop culture references either. Because a lot of people (laughs) that pissed them off in Ready Player One, they found it obnoxious, self serving, like they were not in on a joke. And that's just not at all the bend 
there's a level book. uh there's a level of fan gating that goes oh. on in Ready Player One. Oh yes, yes. And if you are not into the things that happened in the eighties, that book might go way over your head. At the same time, one of its strongest features is how much it is rooted in 80s culture. Oh, yeah. I mean, this whole nostalgia thing that Ernest Klein does in his books, you're either going to love it or you're going to hate it. But for a lot of people, it was it was a lot. It was like very over the top. It was felt like in their faces. They didn't enjoy that. So, I mean, yeah, I think that it's almost inevitable that books about gamers in a virtual reality setting are going to get compared and contrasted to each other for better or for worse. But I just want to say, if you liked Ready Player One, you could still really like this book. If you hated Ready Player One, you're still probably going to like this book. This made me think about this genre in particular. The fact is, is that virtual reality is a near future reality. Right. And gaming is a big thing. Gaming has come into its own and a lot of people identify themselves as gamers. Even people who don't identify themselves as gamers, a lot of them play video games here or there. Absolutely. And to compare Warcross to Ready Player One, it's like comparing any subgenre book to any other subgenre book. Ready Player One may have done it first in regards to its popularity, but the virtual reality slash gaming sci-fi book, I almost feel like it's its own subgenre now. Well, and it's almost, to me, I kind of in my mind tend to lump these all in like a little bit of a cyberpunk thingy, which is, you know, that's cool. Uh, kind of just, I wanted to reiterate one more point on this too. Really awesome female characters in Warcross. Not the like two and a half <laughs> barely mentioned, barely featured female characters in Ready Player One. Warcross um, has awesome ladies in it. Totally agreed. So before we go to our experience scores, I'd like to stop for a moment and hear from our friends. Do you like horror movies? So do we. Fucks is the lie ball yep. out. Because it's fun. Out. She yeah. was great. Do you like American Horror Story? So do we. There are some butts. Yep. Pillins. Yep. Butt. Yep. Pillins. Butt. Yep. Pillins. It's over 90% cheek. That's your butt. You see the essence of the butt. Are you into vampires dancing in mesh tank tops? Us too. I was mesmerized by the mesh tank top and leather pants. Are you into high-minded film critique and discussion? Because we've got that. And it is beautifully filmed. Like, it really... Just the stark contrast of colors, like you said. Not your thing? How about a dick joke? His dick, dude. He put his yeah. dick in a Big, come on. We've also got one dude to give dude perspective. Zombie apocalypse is no time to have your head in the pussy clouds, Mickey. This is survival. <laughs> Thank you. So head over to iTunes or Stitcher, wherever you listen, and subscribe to The Bloodlust, your go-to podcast for classy broads and the token dude talking horror. Welcome back, everybody. So let's talk a little bit about our experience score. Then we're going to break down writing style, characters, all spoiler-free, uh, all for you guys. Okay, I gave this one a page-turner. This is a page-turner experience for me. Um, I mean, I, I flew through this book pretty quickly, and it's because I wanted to know what was going to happen. I was thoroughly invested in the characters, especially Emika, and it's a fun, exciting little plot. So Warcross read as an obsession for me, and it's not even really close. Oh, wow. Uh, I completed it in the span of a little bit over a day, <laughs> uh, but even more tellingly than that, because it's not a terribly long book. Right. I woke up at 3 a.m. thinking about the story, and I couldn't go back to sleep until I had read a few more chapters. Ooh. It's very fast paced, which may be to its detriment, which I'll get into a little bit later. 
but little time is wasted between moments and the characters and the story is really fun. That's awesome. I mean, I'm really happy that you had such such a great experience with this book, even more than I did. There is nothing that gets like to little geeky reader hearts more than like when you just you don't want to sleep, or it's like the first thing you do when you wake up in the morning, like you just want to keep consuming your book. And that right there is exactly what I classify as an obsession. Right there is if I have to wake up in the middle of the night to read more of the book. It's getting an obsession score, period. Right. And if you have that much of a strong connection with the book, you're definitely going to reread it. You know, like it's just going to be a part of books you reread in your life. All right. So let's talk about writing style. Uh, this for both of us was our first time reading Marie Lu. Um, I love her voice as a writer. I think she's smart. She's cool. She's funny. And she writes action really, really well, which can be a little difficult for me. I, I'm... I'm kind of weird sometimes with action. It gets really boring to me in books. She kept it at a nice clip for me. But she doesn't sacrifice style and flourish and description with her writing either. She has beautiful description when it comes to everything. The worlds, the settings, the clothes, the characters. She goes into great detail about everything and really yeah. paints a complete picture for you. She really does. And it's this kind of near future world, but it's not quite at that, you know, like people are wearing slinkies on their heads, like type of, you guys know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> like not quite that crazy and everybody's in rubber clothing or anything. Yeah, just a nice near future, just recognizable enough for us. And it's the kind of book where you kind of want to live in that future. Of course, there's always detriments. And these kind of books, like any good science fiction, will go into that to some bit. But don't you want to be able to live in a virtual reality world sometimes and just escape? <laughs> don't you wish your video games were just a little bit more realistic? Right. And I think that's a really good way to put it, too, because we don't spend a lot of time like this is not dystopian or, you know, like crazy a nuclear fallout world or anything but there's big one of the biggest differences that they speak of is amica's job as a bounty hunter is because the police are over inundated with crime in the big cities like in new york where she lives and so they need bounty hunters to be out there catching kind of petty criminals and you know embezzlers from the war cross game and so I think that's a good way to look at it. Like, okay, things have gotten a little bit progressively worse. And that's one of the reasons that I think a lot of people like to escape into Warcross. So Scott, can you kind of describe Warcross for us? Warcross is basically a multiplayer game played between two teams. If anyone's familiar with MOBAs like League of Legends, it's that kind of idea where you have teams of five, each person has their own special role that they play in the contest, and the goal of the game is to capture the other team's MacGuffin. Right, their flag, their artifact, their, their what have you. The difference is, in the world of Warcross... <laughs> that was that was completely unintentional. Right, I was gonna say it did sound like World of Warcraft, and it's hard not to make that slip. <laughs> but uh, in Marie Lu's world, Warcross is played on a virtual reality headset. Now, this virtual reality headset is a little bit more advanced than what we have now. It actually taps into your brain and makes your brain think that you truly are in this world, which is cool but creepy. When you think about it. Yes. And so there's not only uh, games you can play in Warcross, but you can kind of like 
you can go to like a beach or like a snowy mountaintop or something too, right? Like it's not just gaming, would you say? Exactly. It started with the game, but it's spread out from there because these matches occur in different worlds, different settings, and players can actually just go to these settings without playing the game and experience them and soak them in. See, that's really cool. And that's, um, again, sort of different than other virtual reality books we could mention or have mentioned, where it's not necessarily that you're completely living out your life in this other place, but it's this wonderful thing that connects people and is an escapism. I thought that was cool. So I'm not a gamer. True story. <laughs> I do like video games. I've played video games. I will continue to play some. Scott is much more of a gamer than I am. And I was worried, like, do I have to be like a hella major gamer girl to enjoy this book? And the answer was no. I want to get that out there right away because I don't want people to be turned off if you're not a major gamer. There are some inside jokes for the hardcore gamers in there. Sure. But they're so short and so quippy that if you don't know them, they're not gonna. You're not gonna feel like you're missing out on something. It's just something that's in there for the people in the know. <laughs> but they're very few and far between, and they're not important to the story. They're just fun little asides. Right. So you kind of agree that as a gamer, you're gonna get a lot out of this story, but you don't have to be a gamer. I think you get more out of the story as a gamer in just the wish fulfillment of having this extra layer of reality on your gaming. I think the little jokes that are in there are just for fun. I don't think you get a whole lot more out of this because you're a gamer. I think it really is for gamers and non-gamers alike. Cool. Awesome. I'm glad we have some agreeance on that. So I want to talk a little bit about Emika. Please. That's what I was about to say. Let's talk about Emika, man. So you already said that she's a bounty hunter. Now, these are things that are very clear at the very beginning of the book. Emika's fallen on some pretty hard times. That's an understatement. After her father passed. Everything you need to know about Emika is on the cover of the book. There's four words underneath the title. Player, hunter, hacker, pawn. Love it. That is everything you need to know about Emika, except for the fact that she's a badass chick. She is so freaking cool, you guys. One thing I love is she has rainbow dyed hair. Her dad liked to dye his hair fun colors, and she um, dyes her hair kind of in tribute to him. She also has a completely sickening sounding full sleeve tattoo that goes from like her wrist to her collarbone. And as a tattooed individual, I love seeing people that like remind me of myself represented in books. And I was like, oh my god, another cool tattooed chick out there, man. And her dad had tattoos, and that's something that she does. Um, tribute to him. And in talking about her dad, just let me bird walk on that for a minute. I love the way that Emika <laughs> and Marie Lou <laughs> write about Emika's father. Um, he's painted as this larger than life, wonderful, loving man where they had this beautiful connection. But at the same time, he was flawed. And it doesn't shy away from that. And it doesn't shy away from making some of her feelings kind of complicated about her dad. And that's something that I think is very true to life. Most people have complicated relationships with the people they love because we're all human and flawed. I thought that was really beautifully done. It was beautifully done. There's a certain curtain that's put over your views on a loved one after they've passed and they do become larger than life all of their positives tend to become magnified their negatives tend to take a back seat to them and they're still there and they 
they come out every once in a while. And I found it a really well-written treatment of that experience. I think that's uh, perfectly worded. Um, yeah, Emika has some hard times at the beginning of this. She's Her mode of transportation isn't working out. She's got about to be evicted. She's down to like her last packet of ramen to like fight over her roommate with. Really kind of relatable things in a lot of ways for people. This isn't exactly a Cinderella story by any means, but she's somebody that um kind of doesn't have a lot to lose at the beginning of this book. Poor thing. And it's very important that she's in that position to lead her into the events further into the story. Absolutely. She's a very committed person when she promises to do something she gets it done but she makes a lot of her decisions out of desperation um other characters kind of portrayed in this i thought were really great uh you know you're not she's definitely the focus of the story but she has some nice little sidekicks and um ancillary characters in there one of whom i loved is a girl named hamilton goes by hammy she's just really cool she was another really well-written female character If I can speak to the other characters in the book, one of the flaws with Warcross is the other characters are very interesting, and I want to know more about them. But really, at the end of the day, the only characters that are really fleshed out are Emika and Hideo. That's true. I mean, I do agree with that. But I liked these people. I agree. I want to know more about them because I liked them. I think the book could have done more to focus a little bit more on their point of view or their character development. And maybe future books will do that. But Warcross was very, Warcross had blinders on for Emika throughout the entire book. Right. We're with her on this journey. And um, it's very true that I I hope in future books, book, I don't know if this is um, how many books are going to be in this Warcross universe, but I'd love to know more about some of these other characters mentioned. So let's talk a little bit about Hideo. Um, Hideo Tanaka is the creator of Warcross. He's um, in his early 20s. He was a child genius when he created this virtual reality, these um, glasses and this world. And he's the one that hires Emika. Through the course of the story, uh, they get to know each other a little bit better. Um, I was very happy with Hideo's uh, portrayal in this book. I am, of course, really ecstatic to say we have an Asian male romantic sort of figure. Um, And he's not a joke. He's not a caricature. And I was just super here for that. I was like, that is awesome. He's got depth. He's got layers. He's pretty well fleshed out throughout the book, would you say, compared to the other ancillary characters? Very much so. He's, He's a very likable character. He's too smart for his own good. It's like the whole way he's written is very fascinating. And you want to know more about him because it kind of people don't really know a lot about him. He's very um, secretive yes. about his personal life. And, you know, he's always like in the tabloids and stuff. But people don't really know the real him. So we're getting to uncover him with Emika. Really well written. I agree. And, and he's uncovered as much as he can be being the genius billionaire that he is. There's a lot of walls that are there. Right, and you can kind of understand that. I mean, he's kind of like a dash of Steve Jobs, a drop of Mark Zuckerberg. (laughs) But what's important is that he's, even though he has these walls and he is a troubled young man, he's not your completely cold and... Broody. Exactly. Yeah, he's not broody, I wouldn't say. He's not a shiny vampire. (laughs) 
you know, I, well, no shade. I'm 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 throwing no shade, but he's not a he's not a broody, shiny vampire where you don't really know anything about him, and he's just mysterious through the whole book. He is a really right, interesting and, like, character. Treats Emika and other people like garbage because he's so secretive about his life. Yeah, no, no, he he's um he's not quite that guy. So let's get into our appeal score for Warcross. And as a reminder, you can always look up on our website to see what our little scoring methods is if you're just joining us for the first time or you've forgotten. But most importantly, this score is really to tell you if we think that you would be interested in this book. Yeah. So this one was, I don't know, I kind of thought about it for a minute, but I'm going to go with general. I'm going to go with general. Not quite broad. But generally, this is going to be light. If you're not into those types of books normally, I think you could still enjoy this. I think Warcross has broad appeal. Okay, I was kind of on the cusp. Now, I- I'm not committed to that opinion, but <laughs> I-, I feel like it does. On the one hand, it's incredibly fun, and it's a very non-threatening story. And Lou does a really good job of explaining the science of the book. So... I mean, anyone can really understand what's happening. On the other hand, there is a lot of assumed knowledge in regards to like current and, you know, near current gaming tropes. It could leave some non-gamers scratching their heads just if they have no frame of reference to how video games work at all. But which is kind of maybe a rare demographic of people in this day and age because video games have been around. Well, I mean, popularly since the 80s, but of course, the 70s, too. Yeah. So. For me, I think it's a little bit more than general appeal because it is so accessible, but it's certainly not mass. Right. I think there is a certain generational aspect to this that it can't really cross. So, but I, I yeah, I, I think I'm going to give it a broad appeal. Right. And even then, that's kind of hard to put a, a finger on, like I just said, because video games have been around for a really long time now. Um. So, and, and there's still some people who are, you know, uh, twice uh, or more the characters ages in this book that are probably avid gamers and would dig this yeah it's just a little bit hard to pin down you guys are gonna have to read it for yourself and uh tell us what you think so we're gonna take a little break a little stretch break come back and talk spoilers so i hope everybody enjoys warcross enjoying the show Please like and subscribe on iTunes. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Genre Junkies. And don't forget to visit the website, genrejunkies.com. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the spoiler section. All right, just going to rip the band-aid off. I'm going to jump right in there, okay? Let's do it. The twists. There are several plot twists in this book. And I'm not trying to say, I'm not trying to toot my own horn. I'm not trying to say, oh, God, I'm so smart or anything. But for me, I saw all these twists coming. I did, too. Um, That's okay, because one thing is sometimes when you read a lot and have for like your whole life, like us and many others have, you can often, you know, you catch those nuggets that are planted. So for me, it's not any sort of deal breaker about a book if I see twists coming. It's not a deal breaker for me, but I do think that a lot of the twists ended up being very predictable. It's not that, and and it's not because that they were telegraphed. Uh, mm-hmm. The main twist at the end, Hideo being the bad guy, it was not telegraphed at all. I disagree about that. You do, okay? Okay. So before we get to that, 
um, kind of like, let's just go through some of these twists a little boom, boom, boom. Perfect. Okay, so the romance between her and Hideo. I saw that, but I liked the way their relationship built. There wasn't anything creepy about him employing her as a bounty hunter and then being interested in each other. They were really seen as equals. Like, he wasn't trying to boss her around, give her shit, take advantage of her. Um, I feel like their romance was a natural progression in the book. I agree with that. It's I imagine it must have been very difficult for Marie Lu to create a power dynamic that was not uneven so yeah. that it wasn't quite frankly Hideo taking advantage of her. No. And Emika is um she's really strong too. And th- that can still happen to strong men and women, but it never even felt like that. It never even hinted at that to me. And Especially with everything going on in the news right now, I feel like I'm ultra sensitive to those sorts of relationships. Oh, me too, yeah. And and I was, I'm happy to say I wasn't creeped out. (laughs) Well, especially considering she has been obsessed with Hideo ever since she was a child. And she's been only a little bit older than her. Oh, I know, but she's been obsessed with Hideo since she found out about him. She's been kind of in love with him in a celebrity fashion ever since she found out about him. And Lou did a really good job of traversing that and still making it human and natural and not inappropriate that a romance actually came to fruition because she ended up falling in love with not the Hideo that she idolized. She fell in love with Hideo, the man. Right, the dude that she meets. Um, That's really cool. I think that's definitely a good way to put that. And that's a hard line to walk. And she did a very good job with that. Right. And, you know, it gets a little boring to always have, you know, a secret romance come to fruition in books. But this didn't quite feel like that for me because you can tell that these emotions that they established, they're going to keep going on in the next book and be something that Emika and Hideo probably struggle with a lot, their feelings for each other. And now that they're on kind of opposite sides of um <laughs> this argument, this plot, I don't know, life, um, I liked getting to know about Hideo and Setsuko, his brother, who was allegedly abducted. Yes, although, I'm sorry, the second that I found out that he disappeared, oh, no, yeah. even before I found out how he disappeared, when he said, I used to have a brother, I went, yeah. Zero's his brother. Yeah, exactly. Absolutely, 100%. Yep. No, I totally agree. Totally agree right there. Now, though, the thing that I like about that twist is I want to know, what Setsuko actually abducted? What happened here? Does, I mean, I don't quite trust Hideo at this point. So I'm like, does he know his brother is out there? I don't think he does. My theory is that Setsuko was indeed abducted. But remember, Hideo has never spoken of him after he was abducted. His family has never spoken of him after he was abducted. So as far as Setsuko would see to the outside world is they've forgotten about him. They don't care about him. And so he probably has a vendetta against his own family because as far as he's concerned, they don't care about him. Right. I'm very curious to know where he was, um, how he's gotten educated, you know, what's happened in all these years that are missing from his storyline. I'm really, really excited by that. Like, as soon as the book ends kind of on like cliffhanger, I was like, no, 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 I need to know where this dude has been. Um, So talking about the Hideo as a villain thing. Okay. Okay. When I saw that coming is when the moment, and I'm not exaggerating, that she was given the contact lenses. I was like, wow, I that feels really invasive. That was my gut reaction. 
then when he <laughs> and she start to form a much like in the new Star Wars The Last Jedi, a force bridge communication, I was like, well, somebody needs to say something about this. And I trusted Marie Lou as an author. I was like, we've got to come back to this because this is fucked up. Like, this is weird. This is not okay that this technology is existing. And Emika, so excited, so caught up in it, wasn't questioning it. And I'm like, this is wrong. This is wrong. You shouldn't have that kind of root access to the brain. Uh, no, and to other people, because it's one of those things, it's like, you've opened up this this communication, this two-way mirror, and it's a who watches the watchman sort of thing. So right away, I was like, this has got to be addressed, because what he has done is not okay. I was right away like, Mm-mm-mm. like I threw the flag on the field, I was like, not, no, do not pass go. That is, it, it's funny you say that, because um that- when they had the emotional bridge, that's when I knew what the evil was. Right. But I had a feeling pretty much from the same point you did with the contact lenses and finding out he was giving it to everyone for free. Right. That, okay, no, there's something wrong with Hideo. Whether he thinks he's doing the right thing or not, he's the bad guy. He has to be the bad guy. Right. And I like the way that it's presented right now is this kind of moral dilemma because Hideo has um, created something and has a plot to carry out something that's insidious, but he is not evil. He's not evil. He's not an evil man. He truly thinks he is doing the greater good. Right. And of course, once this is all revealed, you have to be very proud of Emika for being like, no, I will not stand for this. So I was proud of her for doing that. But um, I, I like that moral dilemma that's raised because that's something that's very relevant to our conversations now about technology. I think the reason that it was so transparent to me is this book has a lot of different this book goes in a lot of different ways. On the one hand, yeah. there's a tournament and there's all of that going on. And then there's the idea of kind of what's happening around the world. But all of that takes a very strong backseat to the romance that is happening between Emika and Hideo. Ultimately, that is the main plot of the story is the romance. Right. And if that's going to be the main plot, there has to be some sort of tension there. And it's really the yeah. only tension that could come about that could carry it on past this book and that is he's the bad guy well and something that's really cool i found a little different from a lot of stories i've read is like when he takes her to meet his little cute old parents and she sees the way that he dotes on them and you know all these things he has set up for them that they don't even know like that they have 24 7 security that the house will um you know, alert them when they're almost out of food and make sure that they're fed. And he opens himself up to this vulnerable side of himself to Emika. And normally, if a character is kind of evil, you don't get that. They won't to do a little, hey, hero, heroine of the story, let me take you and show you the soft, inner, gushy parts of myself. So he's not, he's not like a typical bad guy. Or is he? I don't know. He's doing it for the right reasons. You think so? He's doing it for the right reasons. Sure He's wrong. Him. It's not okay to take control over an entire world and say, I know better than you, and I'm going to make sure that none of you can do bad anymore. That's not okay. <laughs> That's not okay. That's science fiction 101. <laughs> it's philosophy 101. <laughs> you, um, can't, you can't impose your morals upon everyone else. No, no. So, um, kind of a spoiler thing. I didn't want to say too much. Uh, this book is a lot of fun. Like the tournament, the matchups 
are fun. The fact that everybody lives in this house together on your team, and they have these really cool dormitories they live in, um, the way they practice, they train, it is super, super fun stuff. It's a great premise and it is really fun. And it, that was my, that ultimately is my biggest problem is that there's not enough of that. Oh, I could have used more. Of course I could have. I wanted so much more of the tournaments, more descriptions of what happened in the games. We don't even get any mechs until the end. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> I love a mech. And her team is so interesting and everyone on the team is a very fleshed out character. You can feel that underneath them and yeah. you can feel that tension there, but they don't, get enough screen time well and it's almost like the um the olympics in a way where people are brought together from all different nations which i think is cool and that's one of the cool things about the warcross technology is that they can all understand each other regardless of language um also i didn't point it out in the beginning too but asher the team captain uh he uses a wheelchair in his day-to-day life and that's just kind of some cool like just a little bit more diversity rep thrown in there for you i love it thank you marie lou you are the bomb uh anyway so, Scott, can you just really briefly explain how in this type of gaming things, these roles everybody plays? Okay, so in a lot of these type of team games, like I mentioned MOBAs earlier, this is the same thing when it comes to D&D or really any kind of team game, whether it's a video game or on a table. People have roles. So in this game, you have your fighter, which is in that person is in charge of effectively killing other players, not in a real sense. They don't die, but knocking them out so that they have to respawn. You have your shield. They're the healer. They're the tank. They're the ones in charge of keeping everybody on the team safe. They're kind of the bludgeoners, if you will. <laughs> and I will. You have the thief. They're in charge of collecting all the power-ups, trying to get everything on the map and scouting out. They're the junglers in a MOBA. You have... You have the captain, they're in charge of managing everything, and they kind of play all roles at once, but they tell everybody where to go. And then you have the architect. This is Emika's role. The architect is in charge of managing the battlefield itself. She's a builder as well as a destroyer. Right. If they need a bridge, she's going to make sure there is one. Manipulate if she needs to take down a bridge, she's going to make sure that it gets taken down is the best example. And so these roles all play a part in this team dynamic to create the game of Warcross. Super cool. Um, I'd be a thief. I usually like to play a healer. So I would th- I, I'd like to think that I would be a shield. But in this particular game, I think I would be a thief as well, just in charge of rushing out and getting whatever the captain told me to get i think that you'd be a really good architect oh i don't think so i don't i don't typically (laughs) play that kind of a role (laughs) um i don't know what did you guys think what would you want to play in warcross would you want to play warcross do you think warcross is a good idea or a terrible idea yeah and i guess we can't both be thieves if we're on the same team no so you got to be something else so yeah i'll be the shield then yeah i'm the thief i called it i licked it it's mine okay guys Let's talk about our final scores. Can I go first? Please. I was hoping you would. So so what are we scoring this out of? How many power-ups out of 10? All right, power-ups out of 10. So this is the perfect example of the difference between how much I enjoyed a book and the score that I might give it on this podcast. Because, I mean, as far as how much I enjoyed it, this book is a 10 out of 10. But I think I'm actually going to have to give this a 6 out of 10 as far as execution is concerned. For how much I loved Warcross, it suffered from being way too short. 
The tournament was really exciting, but it's mostly glossed over and ultimately made completely irrelevant. The near-future hacking was really interesting, but it's poorly explained and ends up becoming more like magic than it does like science. The characters are really diverse, but there's not enough time spent getting to know any of them save for Amika and Hideo. Those two characters, though, are two of my favorite characters of all time now, and they carry the book from beginning to end. So while I give it a 6 out of 10 on execution, I still think it's a great book. I mean, I totally get what you're saying. You're totally, I mean, I don't disagree with anything you said there, but I feel like 6 out of 10 power-ups is a little harsh. I'm going to give it a little bit of a higher thing than that. I'm I'm going to say seven and a half power-ups out of ten. <laughs> Specifically. <laughs> yes, because I agree. I think this book kind of benefited from like another hundred pages probably. And I agree with some of the, the other points you've touched on. But overall, it's just such a beautiful package. I want to give it a little, little bit extra power up there. I think if from the beginning it was clear that it was a romance novel first – I think that I would give it a much higher score because that part of the book was excellent. But it portrays itself as this exciting, almost war games, like Ender's Game meets Ready Player One experience. And it's really not that. So much of that is lacking in the book. And when it presents itself as that, I feel that is a failing of its storytelling, in my opinion. I see what you mean. I see what you mean. I do. So there you have it, guys. That's Warcross in a in a pretty shiny rainbow nutshell. So please um, tell us what you think. Have you read the book? Will you read the book? Did you love it? Should this be made into a movie? How many yes. Books will- <laughs> it, yes. Um, have you read other things by Marie Lu? Uh, pop by and tell us what you think. Happy 2018. Start to the year, Scott. Happy 2018. Excited for a good one. Woohoo! All right, so everybody, please remember to join us and keep reading past your bedtime.